You're listening to the 12 Days of Christmas. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We get to look at another hymn today. Joining us to do that, Benjamin Kologi, member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, professional church organist and composer and contributor to the Lutheran service book, Hymnal Companion. Thanks for joining us again, Benjamin. Thanks for having me, Sarah. We get to do another good old, well, I don't know, maybe maybe it is an old, we're going we're gonna to learn about another favorite Christmas carol today. Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, Lutheran Service Book 387, another one of those that we've all probably grown up singing. So what do you have for us today with Joy to the World? Right, Sarah. It's really hard not to like Joy to the World. It's so exuberant and rhythmic, isn't it? It's And it's just simple enough that even those really not inclined to music can, they can at least sing, repeat the sounding joy. <laughs> I, I really don't, I don't wonder why this hymn has become such a staple of the Christmas choral canon, you know, the, the staples of Christmas hymnody. But let's talk about this really peppy tune first. And you see in your hymnal that it's attributed to Georg Richard Handel. The first phrase of this, this is rather dubious. The first phrase of the tune is similar to Handel, especially in the uh, Messiah. There's a couple motives and comfort ye and glory to God which begin with that descending scale pattern. But that's about where the similarity ends. The tune as we know it, which is in the hymnal, was appropriated by American composer and teacher teacher Lowell Mason. You see his name in there too. And he first published this tune in Boston in 1837. So I personally think Handel had little to do with this tune. Um, But consider that catchy little echo section. Repeat the sounding joy. Now, this is a very common sort of technique. It was called fuguing. And the hymns which employed them in the 18th century were called fuguing tunes. (laughs) Not real creative with their nomenclature. But they were almost exclusively the domain of 18th century English church music, which quickly transplanted to America. Now, if you think of English church music, you might think of robed choirs, a beautiful church and organ, Choirs well-behaved, maybe have vestments, incense. But really, these were liturgical practices that were mostly revived in the 19th century as a result of Anglican worship having become rather pedestrian in the 18th century. So there were any number of these fuguing tunes, which are routinely sung in English churches in the 18th century. They're rugged and energetic, and they're not at all stately and grand, like, say, Abide With Me. They're, 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 Closer to folk music. They're really earthy. So I, I really think Handel had little to do with this hymn, but it's come to us through the centuries and perfectly fits this text by the great hymn writer Isaac Watt. And Isaac Watts is one of my favorite hymn writers of all time. And in my personal library, I have collected many 18th century hymnals of Watts, both published in English and in England and America. And in fact, during colonial and revolutionary times in America, Watts hymnals were supposedly more numerous even than Bibles. You hear about the Bible being the best felt bestseller. Well, at a time, at the time, Watts was a bestseller. Wow. I, I don't actually know if this is completely true or not, or what time this applied, which decade. But certainly the numbers of Watts hymnals from the 18th century, if you look on the antique market, there was a lot of there were a lot of them. And they're still around. But let's back up a bit. Watts was born in the latter part of the 17th century, and he died in 1748. He was an English dissenting preacher and a scholar. 
So this means he was not a member of the Church of England. Really, in an important sense, he was more of a Calvinist theologian. And being a dissenter in the Calvinist church, they only sang metrified psalms. Mm -hmm. And of course, it was said that these psalm versions were quite dreadful. They could be sung very slowly and mournfully. So Watts' most important contributions were his hymns and spiritual songs, hymnal, published in 1707, in which he composed hymns not based on psalms. Now, we Lutherans, of course, have been singing non-psalm-based hymns going on two centuries by this time. So this is old news for us. But the English Christians were really liturgically conservative, choosing only to sing psalms. So this is new. So his When I Survey the Wondrous Cross is one such example from this hymnal, which we still sing today. In 1719, Watts published his Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament, in which he expands on this English psalm singing tradition, but he tries to improve the psalm paraphrases. And essentially, he, 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 he makes the meters more singable, less jarring, and he introduces New Testament concepts. For example, the famous hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, is a paraphrase of certain verses of Psalm 90. But keep in mind, when I say hymnals, they didn't contain music. They only had words. And this was the tradition then. But it was understood that music leaders would select the appropriate tune and lead the congregation accordingly. So at any rate, also from this hymnal from 1719 comes this hymn, Joy to the World, which is a paraphrase of Psalm 98, which I need to read because so we can compare it easier. Hmm. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the light of the nation. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So Watts takes this psalm as a basis. And look how he Christianizes it. He puts Jesus into it a bit. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. So the psalm exhorts us to sing to the Lord a new song, but this hymn now focuses on the third person of the Trinity, Jesus, and demands a response too. So we prepare him room in our hearts. And Watts continues. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, Hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. So here Watts is actually introducing the concept of Jesus being the Savior. And this is something that wasn't on the tongue of that psalm writer. But everything responds in praise of the Savior. I, I think here of the Palm Sunday account in which Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for uh, criticizing his worshipers. And Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And with that in mind, Watts continues, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
He comes to make his blessings slow, far as the curse is found. So we ponder, from what Christ saves us? Well, he's our redeemer from the curse of sin. And we read in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So this is really the language of salvation. It's the language we Lutherans would say of law and gospel. But Watts continues, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Now, this is an eschatological stanza, meaning that it focuses on Christ's second coming in which he will rule the world. And we know from Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we know that all nations will be gathered under his righteousness and love. And I think this stanza, you could excise this stanza by itself, and it would have great bearing during the last Sundays of the church year, or even during Advent. I'm not sure why you do that, but it does relate. In fact, really, there's nothing particularly Christmas-like about this hymn when you think about it. If anything, it prophetically considers Christ's second coming. Um, or the usual Christmas tropes are missing. There's no baby Jesus. There's no manger, no angels, no shepherds, Mary or Joseph. And in this way, we kind of see how Isaac Watts has allowed the words of the psalm to set the textual framework as he Christianizes it. Only the first stanza really bears this Christmas theme explicitly because we sing, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Well, that could definitely be Christmas, maybe Jesus born in the manger. And so as much as I really value our Lutheran hymnody, we should also value these great traditions from other places. And no one can paraphrase a song quite like a Calvinist. <laughs> and in this case, at least like Isaac Watts, and he lived and breathed this tradition and then turned it into something new. And indeed, it's something that can bless us each Christmas as we joyfully sing Christ's birth. Absolutely beautiful. I'm enjoying this series so much, and I, I just love all the history that you have for us. I know you've done quite a bit of work in the research on each of these Christmas hymns, and I know we have more to share. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for spending time with us today on Joy to the World. You're welcome. Thank you, Andy. You're listening to the 12 Days of Christmas. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. <laughs>